I, one day I wake up in the morning, about four in the morning, and I'm shaking like a leaf. And uh, my wife says, what's the matter? I'm like, kid, I can't stop shaking. And she's like, come on, knock it off, you're scaring me. And uh, I said, no, nah, I can't stop. So she's like, come on, for real? I said, yeah, for real. On what should have been a morning like any other, the young owner of a successful concrete business is awakened by the convulsive shaking of his own limbs. Without any advanced warning, his life, like his body, seems to be spiraling out of control. Gripped by an affliction that is a roller coaster, one that will throw him down the darkest depths of depression and shoot him up to the heights of cinematic stardom with the likes of Justin Timberlake and Benicio Del Toro. This is the extraordinary story of John J.C. Capone. All right, I had a glass of scotch. Nice. What kind of scotch you like? Glen Levin. Matter of fact, I think I got a bottle right here. If you want to hang out and join me in a drink, can you see this, Cuss? Oh yeah, I see it. There you go. We'll have a drink together to celebrate our meeting together today. I first discovered J.C. Capone on Instagram. I'm always on the lookout for gangster pages, so the name Capone naturally jumped off the screen. I expected to find the postings of an Italian tough guy, smoking cigars and throwing intimidating looks at his viewers. And in that, I was not disappointed. But the overall tone of the page did come as a surprise, as it seemed to have nothing to do with the legendary Al Capone and everything to do with inspiring people, mostly to get off their lazy rumps and hit the gym. It was still pretty cool. I'd never seen a guy work a heavy bag while smoking a stogie. I decided I liked this guy. I liked his style. And I followed his page. It took me a while before I realized the true nature of his mission. He would talk about obstacles, challenges, and the courage to overcome them. But what was his challenge? This guy seemed capable to me. It really didn't add up until I read his profile tag. He was an advocate for Parkinson's. I was surprised to say the least. Could this guy have Parkinson's? I was equally surprised when he reached out to me and suggested I do a podcast on his story. Are you a gangster? I asked. No, sir, he responded politely. Well, I do podcasts on criminals, I advised him. No, it's simple. You just do that only with me, he explained. JC has a direct way of putting things and it didn't take long for me to agree. My father used to tell me, God don't want you yet, and this devil scared you. The Urban Dictionary has defined a term to describe the process of making a person extraordinary. So just keep going, kid, don't worry about nothing. A traumatic trial by fire that will define not only their future, but the essence of who and what they are to become. And that's what we're gonna do. Just keep going and don't worry about nothing. I'm William Crooks, and this is Extraordination. My dad actually passed two years ago on August 11th, and uh, good man, solid man. First, he came from Italy in 1956, I think. He was a young boy, he came here, left his family there because he wanted to make a better living had a life for his family. Much love and respect for that man. My dad's from Naples, and my mom's from Naples as well. 
They were born there and they both came to America. I was born in Long Island, St. John's Hospital in Far Rockaway, Queens, August 5th, 1976. The first thing I remember was driving to my grandfather's house on Smith Street, but one of those streets, and driving over the bridge from Long Island to go back to Brooklyn. And hearing the tie is when you go over the bridge that they go thump, thump, thump when they drive over the guardrails. And uh, that's one of my first memories. At four years old, Italians everywhere. My next door neighbor was my Aunt Grace. She was Italian. My other neighbor was Judy. She was Italian. Around the corner was my Tito Dono, Uncle Tony. He lived about two, three blocks away. Across the street from him was his brother Giovanni. So we were all Italians back then, all Italians. Then on a Sunday, forget about it. We start off with the fresh mozzarella. Nice, not the stuff you buy the polio cheese. You gotta go to the pork store and get fresh made mozzarella. Usually go down to Brooklyn on 15th and uh, 72nd. The Leone brothers, they make the best fresh mozzarella. Start off with a little bit of that, some nice prosciutto, some nice salami, cheese, and Parmigiano, all of that. Then mama cooks a nice pot of sauce, bro. She starts the sauce at like six in the morning. And when you wake up, you smell that fresh, nice aroma from the homemade sauce percolating through the house. Then we fry up some meatballs, and then we throw them into the sauce, a little hot and dry sausage, throw them in a little brajol. And boy, let me tell you, when you sit down, forget about it. You need a loaf of Italian bread and two bottles of wine to eat what we eat on a Sunday. But this is old school. You see these guys today, they talk about old school and this and that. How could they be 20-year-old kids be old school? Come on. I'm 45 and I caught the tail end of a good thing. The golden age was way before that. My mother was very broken English. Still to this day, we speak more Italian at home than English. But she does speak English, but it's very broken till this day. And she's been in this country for like 50 years. We were very tight-knit community-like. My aunts, my uncles, um, we all stick together. We all stayed together. Christmas Eve at my house was like 40 people deep. Kids, uncles, nephews. We all lived in like a five mile radius of each other. We all talk on the phone every day to each other. So the language was pretty much Italian throughout. I could speak Italian as well and uh, no problem because we grew up with that. That's just the way it was. My father used to work for an aeronautical company fabricating parts for uh, airplanes. He was a machinist. My dad, he was very smart, very intelligent man. You know who would break my ass? My mother. She's about five foot two, if that, with heels on. But man, boy, that woman back in the day, she could put a licking on you. My old man, he was easy going, eh, don't worry about it. But my mother? Oof. Back in the days, they used to wear the clogs, a wooden slipper. And when she would walk down the hall, you hear clunk, 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 clunk. And you would turn the corner, she would throw it like a boomerang. The son bitch would hit you right in the back of the head. I don't know how she did it. I'm telling you, she was fierce. She would stand out in the snow with short sleeves on, shoveling snow. And she was a tough, tough lady. And she gave us tough love, man. You ever stepped out of line? You did it once, you never did it again. But, you know, it's funny that now when I look back on her, she said, I did it because I wanted to make sure that you guys stayed in line and I wanted you guys to be good and respectful. And I did a pretty good job, wouldn't you say? And so uh, may I love and respect to my mom. They sacrificed a lot to make us who we are today. So God bless them both. I got an older brother, Marco. He's uh, 
He's a good guy, tough guy, great guy. He's in the body shop business. He's got about nine years on me. He was always the older brother, but always looked out for me. When I get into trouble in school, he, he would come with a couple of friends. So I was pretty well off back when I was a kid because my older brother would definitely know how to lay down some whoop ass. So I was uh, pretty good. But it was good times. We had a lot of good times growing up. I'd say those days, I would take them back any day right now. It wasn't a lot of money, but there was family. There was love. There was respect, honor. You know, back in the days, we used to go to somebody's house. You would bring something as a token of your appreciation for inviting us. It's a totally different world, man. High school is good. A lot of good years in high school. Hung out with a lot of good people. Shared a lot of good times. I had all my friends there. It was like uh, we all knew each other. We all grew up together in the same neighborhood. It was just like going to a family party when you went to school, you know? I was like a B average, C plus to a B. I wasn't the greatest, but I was always, always had street smart and always had book smart, a little of both. Yeah, I wasn't that kid that dreamed to be the president or dreamed to be a fireman or a police officer. I was just, uh, just enjoying life, not really thinking too much ahead in the future, you know? You know, one time I tried out for the football team with my cousin, right? And uh, the coach, which was a great guy, he says, uh, Capone, you got to run five laps around the track. It was about 90 degrees. It was double sessions. I said, buddy, and he was a big guy, you know? I said, why don't you do it first and then I'll follow you? And that was it. So that was the extent of my football career. But I always worked out like an animal. I like power. I like to stay in the gym. And uh, I was never like chiseled. But I always had size, big shoulders, chest, and arms. It's definitely a forte of mine. But it was clean. We didn't do drugs. We didn't do steroids. We didn't need that shit. We had enough pasta power that we didn't need to do anything else. After high school, I went to two-year community college, Nassau Community College. I was there for about five years. Uh, <laughs> I got After four years or five years, I think I got my two-year liberal arts degree, but... When I went to college, it was like a carryover of high school. And I met a lot more Italians from other neighborhoods and we would hang up at the plaza and chill out and we would chase skirts more than chase the books. And so it was a cool place to hang out and that was a good time. So this was more or less to buy some time to figure out what I was gonna do. And so my father, it was either like this, either you get up and go to work or you get up and go to school, but you will not lay on my couch doing nothing all day long. So I opted for the school. My brother worked in the airport, local 295, driving a straight job. He got me into the union and that's when I started work. I uh, offload cargo airplanes and drive the cargo airplanes back to the hub and offload the containers. I stayed there for about 10 years. It was a good gig. I used to work at 3 o'clock in the morning till about 12.30 in the afternoon. So it was really nice. Living at home, don't have a care in the world. I have a pretty decent union job. But I was always like a guy that was a wise ass. I never really took authority well. I don't like people telling me what to do and how to do it. So uh, I used to get into a lot of beefs. I don't want to say the guy's name, but he was a line supervisor, an Italian guy. And I'd come back from the airport, offload the containers and bring them back to the warehouse. And then you'd have to put the packages on the belt. So there would be a couple of offloaders and a couple of scanners. So I had a nice job. I was scanning and it was nice until this one comes on the line and he's like, you're not scanning no more. I says, what? 
I said, what are you kidding me? I've been doing this for a couple of years now. He said, no, nah, you're a big guy. You're young enough. You got to go in the back and off to the, uh, the containers. So I says, uh, bro, this is not right. He's like, no, you got to do this. So I said, all right. I said, you're Italian? He said, yeah. I said, you should be in disgrace that you even say you're Italian because you're trying to stick it to me like this. So he goes, Mr. Capone, that's step one in subordination. I says, okay. So I go back to the end of the line. I start offloading. He goes, you got to load 22 packages per minute, boy. I said, go f Step two in subordination. At that point, step three, you're out. So I called over my shop steward. And... Uh, <laughs> He goes, what's the problem? He says, Mr. Capone is insubordinate and facetious. And if he says one more rude or lewd comment, he's fired. So I told him, I said, come here. Maybe you didn't hear me the first time. Go f Boom, step three insubordination, Mr. Capone. You terminated to put your badge on the table and walk out of this building. You will be escorted out. The big guy came over to me. He tried to escort me out the building. I turned around and I said, brother, I know the exit signs. You lay a hand on me, we're going to have a big problem in this place. He says, no, 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 JC, I know, I know, I know, it's okay. Just got to go to the door. And I said, no problem. So then after that, I had to go down to the union hall, back for my job back. And a couple of days later, I was back at work. But then after that, my days were numbered. And uh, I was like a five-year guy that thought he had 30 years on the job. That's what they used to tell me. So uh, they didn't like me at all. And I didn't like them. Listen, they were doing their job. I was trying not to do my job. They gave me a union card. I thought I was pink tut, you know. And I uh, was hanging out with a lot of the older union guys. Had a lot of seniority, and so they wouldn't give a shit. So I didn't want to give a shit, you know. On hindsight, looking back, they might have been right. I'm not going to say that. So what happens next? I was hanging out in a restaurant, and I run into a guy that's down in his luck, and he says, uh, you want to buy into a construction company? So I says, all right, it was a couple of dollars. So I, I pony up a couple of dollars, I give it to this guy's ex-partner, and I buy him out. I become a contractor. <laughs> so uh, that's going really well for a few years. My partner is doing pretty good, but this guy, I don't know what kind of problem he had, but he always had a problem. At the end of the week, you always needed money, 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 money. Yeah. So I was like, yo, cuz, this has got to stop. You're taking money, you got to wait till the job is over. That's when we all get paid, that's when you get paid. And uh, he was like, you can't do this without me. I'm like, all right, here you go. So basically what I did was I bought him out and I took over the business myself. Here's your money, take all the tools, take everything out. I'll, I'll just keep the business, the company name and everything else and you go on your merry way. And so six months later, I wind up buying all my machines and equipment back. And uh, the business went on 10, 15 years, something like that. Just wound up falling into my lap basically. Uh, and God bless, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I met a lot of great people. I did a lot of great work for a lot of great customers, um, good people out there, and uh, met a lot of great people that worked for me throughout the years. It was really nice. Small little outfit, though. It was just me and the part-timers here and there, you know? Bro, I'm old school, man. My father always taught me, you make 10, you spend two, you put eight in the bank, you know what I'm saying? That's what the problem is today. Everybody needs to keep up with the Joneses. Everybody needs five cars in the driveway. Everybody needs the Nike clothes, the Gucci bags. I mean, back in the days, bro, we had one TV in the living room. My father came home, he put on what he watched. He didn't like it, you went in your room and you shut up and that was it. And we didn't have no remote control, I was the remote. Johnny, get up, change the channel. Okay, Pop, 
You see these hands? You see those ballistas? That's from swinging 20-pound sledgehammers all day long. We were breaking up cement, doing driveways, doing uh, patio pavers, you know, stuff like that. Funny story, I go to a restaurant in Atlantic Beach. I'm about 35, 36, hanging out. And this guy turns around, he's half in the bag. And he goes, uh, are you Italian? I says, yeah. He says, are you single? I said, yeah. He says, don't move, I got a girl for you. I said, get the out of here. I said, Johnny, do me a favor, buy this guy a drink. Um, he's out of his mind. I said, buddy, go stand on the other side of the bar because I don't want you drooling on. He's like, no, 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 I'm serious. I'm not drunk, I'm, I'm being serious. So <laughs> apparently he was serious. And after a couple hours, a young lady walks in who actually happened to live two blocks away from me all her life and all my life. And we never even knew each other. As she walks in, he goes, you see, I told you she works for me and she's a great girl. I've seen you in here a few times. I know you're a great guy. You guys would be great together. Here I am, wanted to give this drunk a smack, I swear to you, because he was so annoying. But he turned out to be a great guy and introduced me to my wife. And uh, ever since then, that's been the wrap. I've been married ever since, two beautiful kids. Uh, very fortunate, I owe a lot to that guy. It's another thing. Don't ever judge anybody just by the way they talk or by the way they do things because you never know who's going to be the one that brings the blessing to you. Uh, the following Monday, I go there with a bouquet of flowers, pick her up, go out to dinner, and uh, then it starts the rest is history. A small girl who carries the weight of this world on her shoulders, brother, and comes from a good family. Italian family, off the boat Italians as well. But morals, respect, values, beautiful person inside and out. But inside, just a great person. Had a beautiful, beautiful wedding. Thanks to my friends at Verdi's, Old Westbury. We had a beautiful venue. Cocktail hour was filled with all kinds of seafood, shrimps, lobsters. I mean, people to this day are still talking about my wife. Vivo Entertainment, DJ Louie, he put on the show. We had the percussions, the band there. We had the DJ there. I mean, it was spectacular. We had a singer there, Carlo, a great singer. As a matter of fact, you might know me, became famous for the singing pizza man. If you look up on YouTube, you'll see him. But he was a great performer. It was a beautiful time. And I planned it myself. I couldn't do it any better than what I did. The cocktail hour was downstairs. My aunt and uncle, Kumbagarman and Titatella, they were up in age and they weren't able to, to make it to the cocktail hour because there were steps going down. There was no elevator. I told Johnny and Rocco, I said, listen, this is my aunt and uncle. They're not able to walk down the steps. So what they did was they served them in the main room and brought like the cocktail hour to them. And so what I did was I grabbed the singer and I told them to come upstairs with me. And uh, we sang for them personally and they're both passed away now. So uh, that was really nice. And that'll be a memory that I'll cherish for all my life. Beautiful wedding. And then we go on a honeymoon, go to Aruba. Beautiful week in Aruba, parasailing, swimming with the turtles, going to see the pelicans. We went to Flamingo Beach, come back, and life is good, bro. I have, uh, have money in the bank. I got a good business going. Just married, I got a house. And then all of a sudden, six months deep, 
And one day I wake up in the morning, about four in the morning, and I'm shaking like a leaf. And uh, my wife wakes up because I, I wake her up and uh, she's like, what's the matter? I'm like, kid, I can't stop shaking. And she's like, come on, knock it off, you're scaring me. And uh, I said, no, nah, I can't stop. So she's like, come on, for real? I said, yeah, for real. So we go to the hospital and now they're doing all kinds of scans, CT scans, MRIs, spinal tap, I mean the whole nine yards. I got paperwork about this thick of all the tests, blood work that they did on me. And we're going through the motion, they're doing like uh, EEGs where they put these monitors on, you monitor your brain and they check the brain waves that are flowing to make sure that their pathways are normal. And so everything is coming back normal, you know? So like, all right, but why the f am I shaking? So this guy says to me, I'm gonna call the neurologist, he's walking on the floor, I'm gonna send him by here just to see what he thinks. And as soon as this guy, I call him Dr. Gavorkian, as soon as he comes past me, taps me on the shoulder, says, you got Parkinson's. My wife almost hits the floor. She starts crying. She says, what'd you just say? She said, but you haven't touched this guy. You haven't seen this guy. You haven't met this guy. You haven't looked at him. You're just a neurologist on the floor. How are you going to tell me he's got Parkinson's? Because I got 35 years in the business of being a doctor or a neurologist. And he says, you got Parkinson's. So, uh... That's a real gut check. That's a real f***ing punch in the nuts, if you ask me. And uh, my wife was crying and I was crying. She's six years junior to me, so if I was 39, she was like uh, 33, 34, somewhere in that area. And we all know what Parkinson's is. We've seen Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox. and So the writing on the wall is not pretty. So I told her, I said, uh, Hey, kid, this is my fight, not yours. You got nothing holding you back. If you walk out that door, don't turn back. I won't look any which way. I'll never say anything bad about you. Take the money, whatever you need. Just keep it moving. She, uh, she said, I said till death do us part. And that's what I'm gonna stick to. And so, uh, She's the real warrior, bro. She didn't have to stay. As a matter of fact, I asked her to leave and she didn't go anywhere. So uh, that's a true champ right there. Ride or die, 100. Uh, what do they do? They give you a whole bunch of tests, give you a whole bunch of readouts, and then they send you home. And I go home with pills with a prescription from this Dr. Kevorki. And now mind you that this son of a bitch which, God forbid, I ever see him again. He gave me medicine that was for people that are suffering from full-blown Parkinson's. And this is another problem that we have with this medicine, is that the medicine is the same pretty much for all patients. And the medicine does a lot of damage. My whole theory is this. If you know something doesn't work, why keep doing it and doing it and repeating it, just like the definition of insanity? keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. Well, if Muhammad Ali was doing the same thing, Michael J. Fox and all these other six million people that are fighting out there are taking the same pills and the pills are only meant to mask the situation, not to cure it. Why would we go down that same path? Why would I, as a semi-intelligent human being, 
say, okay, let me take these pills. Obviously, you got to go for a second opinion. So I go to another doctor, another neurologist, and this guy, uh, he looks at the pills that I'm taking. He's like, yo, get off these pills immediately. He said, even if you do have Parkinson's, which I'm not convinced that you have it, but even if you do have it, the pills are way too strong. It's, you shouldn't be taking this shit. So right away, I take the pills and discard them properly because people go through garbages here. So you got to be careful. Don't throw medicine or anything in the garbage. Make sure you dispose of it properly. Bring it to a doctor's office and throw it into one of those red bins. So I get off the meds. And now I'm seeing a couple of different doctors. One guy says I have it. One guy says he doesn't know. One guy says it might be severe anxiety might be a part of a mental breakdown because, you know, you had a lot of pressure on your shoulders, so you might short-circuit it. So I didn't take these pills. Then I meet another doctor, and he sends me to Columbia Presbyterian, a movement disorder specialist. So I go to this guy. As soon as you walk in the door, right, I says to my wife, I said, kid, I got Parkinson's. She said, what do you mean? We don't know. Somebody says you do. Somebody says you don't. I said, you see the writing on the wall? Parkinson's Institute, Parkinson's this, Parkinson's. I said, it's right there in front of us. Writing is clearly written all over the wall. So I said, I got Parkinson's. But the guy says, listen, instead of you coming to Manhattan every week, because you live out in Long Island, try to find somebody that's in your own vicinity. So that way it make the travel time a lot better for you. Pretty much the medicine that he's going to give you, I'm going to give you. The playbook is pretty much standard. So you don't have to come to Manhattan because there's really not much I can do different than the next guy. You know what's your worst mistake you can make is going on Google and Googling Parkinson's disease. Because if that doesn't throw you into deep depression, I don't know what would. Because when you Google Parkinson's, and this is one of the main reasons why I want to change the face of Parkinson's. Because you can get on your computer right now and Google it. And you'll see old people slouched over, shaking like this. And it's just really grim. I mean, if you look at the writing on the wall, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. So it sends you into this whirlwind of a deep depression. It's almost like going into battle knowing your own fate. So why do you want to fight hard if you know that at the end you're going to get killed or get massacred? Why do it, you know? And... Uh, that happened for about two and a half, three years. I locked myself in a room in the house and uh, I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to associate with anybody. I wish I had that time back because I lost three years with my family, my father, my mother. When I used to go to the house in the very beginning, they felt really bad, so they would cry. And they see their little boy shaking and walking. And so that hurt. You don't ever want to see your parents crying, you know? So my thing was, let me just distance myself. Let me lock myself away and not see anybody. Thoughts of suicide run through your mind all the time because you just feel like you're not worth anything. You're a shell of the person that you once were. Trying to pick up a simple glass and try to put it in your mouth. The glass shakes the way you can't even drink it. I can't even put this thing down right now. Going from being a construction guy, swinging 20-pound sledgehammers, to not being able to put a glass of milk or a glass of wine or a glass of water to your mouth and drink, and to share the same sippy cups that your kids are using, takes a lot of guts and a lot of prayers. 
to keep you going at night, I'll tell you that much. I'm in a deep depression, real deep. I don't want to see nobody. I don't want to hang out. I don't want to go to the restaurants that I used to go to. And now I'm getting phone calls from friends, family. Hey, listen, everybody knows what you got. It's not your fault. You didn't deserve this. Come on over, come out, come see me, come do this, come do that. I didn't want to do any of it. See, this is what is important about blessings and support and love and family. One day my brother goes, uh, hey, bro, we're going to Florida next week. And I said, nah, I'm not going, bro. Look at me, I'm a mess. He says, nah, you're going to Florida. Like I said, my brother's a real pistol. So if you refuse him too many times, you might wind up kicking the shit out of him. So I was like, uh, all right, I'll go reluctantly. Now, I don't know if you notice or not, but there's a famous restaurant in Fall Lauderdale called Matarano's. And the owner, Steve Matarano and his wife, Marsha, are great people. He's very passionate about God and the rosary. And if you Google Steve Matarano on Instagram, you'll see what I'm talking about. And now I know this guy for quite some time. We go to the restaurant and I'm standing outside because I'm embarrassed. Because like I said, when you get anxiety and you start getting anxious, you literally like hunch over, you start shaking out of control, you start sweating. So for me to walk through a restaurant, you know, I'm, I'm really self-conscious about that. So I was like, you know what? I'll stay outside. So my brother's like, what are you kidding me? Come on, let's go. We, we're here with 10 guys. You're worried about what people are gonna look at you. Anybody says anything, it'll get squashed in a minute. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna sit outside. So I, so I sit outside. When you look at Matarano's, if you've ever been there, it's all glass in the front and Steve is in view of the front sidewalk. And he is a DJ along with being a great cook, chef. He doesn't call himself a chef, but that's what he is, a great chef, great person. And my brother goes up to him and says, hey, Steve. And I could see him talking to the guy through the window. It says, Johnny's outside, he's scared to come in. So Steve is like, what? Johnny's scared to come in. This is not like Johnny, what are you talking about? Oh, he's got a Parkinson's. So Steve puts down the headphones, puts down the food at the time that he was cooking or whatever. He comes out from around the counter and he comes outside. Anybody that knows Steve, he don't leave the counter for nobody. He said, what's the matter with you? He says, I'm embarrassed to come in because I'm a shaky man. He said, what? You're embarrassed, what are you talking about? He says, you are who you are and nobody could ever take that away from you. And you walk in here, you walk in here with me, you walk in strong, you walk in proud. And uh, Steve wears the rosary around his neck. He gave me the rosary. He said, listen, I want you to start praying the rosary every day and just talk to God. He will guide you through this but I want you to pray and believe every single day. So we walk into the restaurant, we eat, we have a good time. And uh, I come back and I started praying the rosary. Now, mind you, I didn't know the rosary. I still don't know the rosary. I just put it on YouTube and you can Google the rosary and it's like 28 minutes. So every morning I get up, I come downstairs and I put on YouTube, whether it's four in the morning, two in the morning, five in the morning, and I do the rosary. And uh, I did exactly what he said to do. I asked God, I said, uh, 
listen, let's be straight here. Why do I have this and what am I going to do with it? But if you think I'm just going to sit here and die, is that what you want? And listen, I don't want to get too spiritual and I don't want to sound like I'm a holy roller or be born again. This is my experience. Some reason or another, just something flipped inside me like a switch went off. And I felt a calmness come over me, you know? And I don't know, you call it what you want, but uh, I felt like I knew what I was supposed to do. I felt like I was allowed to have this disease because God wanted it that way. God shut the door on the construction business. I was great in that, but I guess he had bigger and better plans for me. And for some reason, this came into my mind. And again, it could just be potluck. It could be whatever you want to call it. But oh, ever since that day, I felt like this is a cross that I need to carry and that I'm going to carry it. But once we get to the finish line, it's, this game is going to be over. Let's be frank here. Yeah. When you're an Italian family, like a real old school Italian family, as soon as you get married, when you're having a kid, when you're having a kid, when are the kids coming along? You know, you're getting older. You're 40 years old now. You don't have any kids. You better hurry up. The clock is ticking. And all you keep saying is, yeah, I know, I know. And honestly, I was trying, but nothing was happening. I guess because the pressure of Parkinson's, just getting married, you know, feeling your way through marriage, being disabled. I mean, it was just a whole bunch of shit on top of my head. And so we came to an agreement that if God wants us to have kids, we'll have them naturally. And if not, it's okay. You know, uh, whatever God decides to do, he'll do it. Honestly, I'm 40-something years old. I had a business. I had the house. Just got diagnosed with Parkinson's. If we didn't have kids, God bless. You know what I'm saying? That, so funny story, though. My wife says, you know what? Let's get away from it all. Let's go back to where it all started. Let's go back to Aruba. So I didn't realize that Aruba is an international flight. It's not domestic. So you got to get to the airport like three hours before. So we had a six o'clock flight, a 6.15 flight going to Aruba. The day that we're leaving, it was 4.30 and I'm still in the shower. So now my brother comes to pick me up to bring me to the airport. He's like, girl, it's almost five o'clock, you're still in the house. You know you're not making this flight. I said, nah, don't worry about it. Very lackadaisical attitude, just... Uh... So we get to the airport, my brother drops us off outside. Can't park the car, you gotta leave a run, and so he leaves. So now I'm walking with a real limp struggling to get down and now but we get dropped off to get down to the ticket counter mink is like five football fields away so my wife was like Pew! she takes off she's running to the counter now i'm walking behind way way behind and it's JetBlue terminal there's a guy vlad obviously he's a russian gentleman he comes up to me he says my friend i have a wheelchair why don't you get in and i'll take you down there I said, why don't you do me a favor? What do I look like? Can I handicap to you? Get the hell out of here. So he goes, my friend, it's okay. You need help. I help you. I help you. I said, listen, do me a favor. Get the out of here. So this guy was persistent. And you talk about blessings and you talk about God and how he acts in, in, in strange ways and how he sends blessings to you. Now, if it was me and somebody told me to go myself legitimately, I would have said, you know what? This clown, let him miss his plane. Let him walk all the way down there. Let it catch it in his ass, and then he wish he would come with me, you know? But he keeps on being persistent. And now I hear flight, pa 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 going to Aruba is now closing. All boarding is happening right now, otherwise you're missing the plane. 
I says, oh shit. So the guy says, you see my friend, you don't get on with me, you are never making this plane. So I was like, I was like, all right. So now I sit in the chair and this guy wheels me. This guy's pretty much running, running. I swear to you, you couldn't make this up. You, I didn't pay the guy. He was just out of the goodness of his heart. He was doing the right thing. And so he takes me all the way down to where the kiosks are. My wife is over there trying to punch in the thing. But when the gate closes, the kiosk shut down. So the guy's like, come on, come on, come on. I'll take you up to the counter. I'll take you up to the counter. So he takes me up to the counter, wheels me up there. And, and now my wife, she's all upset because, oh, we're missing the plane. I told you you had to get up early. And me, what am I going to say? She's got me dead to right. So I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, what are we going to do? We'll catch another flight. And now she's pissed off. And when you get an Italian girl pissed off, forget about it. She's like, you, I'm not going. We missed this flight. Forget about it. So the lady at the desk, she must have been having a bad day that day. She was like, no, no, no. Gate's closed. Sorry. And this guy's like, listen, this is my friend. He has Parkinson's. He's disabled. Bah, bah, bah. She's like, let me call over a manager, a supervisor. So this big gentleman comes down and he's like, what's the problem here? I said, listen. He said, Vlad, stop talking. Let me just tell this guy something. I said, sir, don't do it for me. Do it for the kid next to me. We just got married. We got Parkinson's. This girl needs a vacation more than anybody. So please, please do me this favor. Otherwise, this marriage is going to go south real quick. So he goes, you know what? Open the gate. You can get on. So Vlad, guy that he is, takes me all the way through security. We zip through security. He runs me all the way down and brings me not to where the gate is, but to where the plane door meets the thing that goes up against it. And he walked me to my seat. So naturally what I did was I took a half a buck and I gave it to him. And I said, listen, give me a number because when I come back, I'm gonna need the same service. And no problem, Mr. Capone, whatever you want, I got you. And uh, that's how I got to Aruba. So now we stay there for a week, we're drinking, hanging out. And we had a great time. So in Aruba, I'm chilling, man, smoking cigars. I had a personal tour around the island, one of those ATVs. It was like a souped-up golf cart with a windshield. And it was nice because Aruba's all like a dust bowl. All the sand, the dirt, the dust was kicking these people in the face. Me, I'm driving nice. I have a windshield in front of me. Everything is beautiful. So we went to the natural bridge. We went to the natural pool. My wife went swimming inside the pool there. If anybody's been to Aruba, they know what I'm talking about. Went to the castle. We found this little church on the top of a mountain. It was nice because it was a little, little church. And uh, outside had these old-fashioned cathedral seats. The priest or whatever he was was saying a ceremony inside. And being that the place was so small, all most of the people were sitting outside. So it was a beautiful trip, beautiful experience. It was like a judgment-free, stress-free zone. So we come back. A couple of weeks go by, my wife's like, you know, man, my stomach is still bothering me. So at this point, it's like three years deep, never ever expecting to have a baby, you know? That was the furthest thing from my mind. So I said, maybe you got some kind of parasite or something from Aruba. Cause you know, when you go to these other countries, you know, sometimes you come back with a little virus or something. So I said, let's go to the doctor and uh, see what's up. So go to the doctor. So we're sitting there and uh, my wife says, listen, I haven't been feeling good. My stomach hurts and this and that. So the doctor goes, I want you to come back at seven. I said, oh man, I said, this is not good. Said, We're gonna do a sonogram. I said, doc, 
Boy, she got a tumor in the stomach. So she got a baby coming. I said, what? And she goes, yeah, 99% sure she's pregnant, but come back tonight at 7 p.m. to make sure of it. And we went back there. And there was a little speck. My daughter Gia was this big like a peanut. And uh, thank God, thank God for sending me that gentleman that didn't give up, even though I cursed at him and I apologized afterwards for that. Because again, when you're handicapped, you don't want people to feel sorry for yourself. Like, you know what I mean? I don't want nobody to feel sorry for me. I don't want nobody to look at me like I'm a disabled handicapped, in which reality I am, but I just, I don't want to come off as that guy to feel pity for me, you know? So thanks to Vlad at security. That guy was a true blessing, a true angel sent. If I would have missed that trip, who knows? Who knows? I do believe that when you're ready to have a baby, guys, you need to be in a calm, cool, chill place. I don't think God wants you to be in a place of confusion stress, anxiety. I think he wants you to be relaxed. It's amazing how much stress and anxiety could play a part in your system. Anything that causes severe anxiety or stress, it induces the tremors because again, it's a neurological disease connected with the nervous system. So when you get nervous, the shakes get more and more. But when you're just chilling, relaxed, calm, not thinking about anything, they do tend to reduce a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You do some research and you'll realize it's called young onset Parkinson's. People under 50 are getting Parkinson's disease. And that's what I have. And if these people are like me, they Google this disease and they see somebody shriveled up and shaken and it's gonna throw them into a deep depression. So I figured, what's gonna take for me to reach the masses? What is it gonna take for me to say, hey, listen, I could do it, you could do it. Just gotta man up, believe in yourself, believe in God and it's not that bad. So uh, what was the best thing? I'm not a computer guy by any means. I'm not a razzle-dazzle. I just speak from the heart. I'm not fancy. You look at my page, it's me sitting down smoking a cigar, just telling it like I feel it. And some people call it tough love. You call it whatever you want. It's reality and it's the truth. And that's what I believe and that's what I say. Because people that have Parkinson's, number one, we're facing a couple of different battles. The majority of the people that have it are old, like really old, like 70s, 80s, 90s. So they're pretty much not on social media. They just want to be left alone. They get put into a nursing home and they get forgotten about. And the people that are young, they feel ashamed to tell people that they have Parkinson's. So they don't want to come on live with me. But behind the scenes, they'll send me messages saying, hey, kid, you know, I'm really happy for what you're doing. You're inspiring me. But they won't come out and say it because they're afraid that people will start looking at them differently. They're afraid that they won't get the promotions that are coming to them because they don't want to be portrayed as a shaky mess that can't handle the job, you know? So that's another battle. So you put all these things together and it's hard to make a difference. It's hard to make an impact. That's why I ask people. And I've knocked on a lot of doors, a lot of doors. And I tell you, I don't ask for money. I don't ask to promote anything. All I'm asking for is to tell my story because if your platform is bigger than mine, you got more star power than I do. You know, in this world, everything's about star power. You put a star behind it and right away people are listening. You're Joe Schmo from the block. Nobody cares. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it's really important that forums such as yours, platforms like yours, if anybody's out there listening that has a big platform or somebody that's celebrity status, I'm not asking for money, guys. 
I'm not asking for anything. I'm just asking as a father of two little children that when the kid's crying in the crib and your hands are like this and you can't pick up the kid and he's staring at you and he wants to get picked up and if you pick him up, God forbid you drop him on his head and he becomes disabled at my own hands, I would never ever forgive myself, brother. So for people that feel that experience, that's what I'm fighting for. And that's why I want a cure as soon as possible because I want to be 100% the man that I'm supposed to be and the father that I'm supposed to be. And uh, that's what drives me every damn day. So that's what I try to accomplish when I do my morning motivational 30 second videos. And so in doing so, it caught the attention of a director by the name of Grant Singer, who's making the movie called Reptile. So I want to give a big shout out to Grant Singer, all the crew and cast at Reptile. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. I was cast in a movie. How did that come about? If you can just picture having Parkinson's, driving a truck with your wife in the car, two kids screaming, and you're trying to juggle driving, calming down the kids, and you get a phone call from Los Angeles, and you're like so tired of these robo-callers. So you're just like, you hit the FU button, and then the call comes back, and you're trying to answer it with my shaky hands, and finally get to answer the phone, and there's this lady, one of the casting directors, and she's like, hey, JC, how you doing? I'm so-and-so casting director, and I'd like to put you in a movie. I was like, yeah, no thanks, lady. We're not taking any of that stuff. You know, I mean, honestly, 45 battling Parkinson's. Um, I always thought in my head that I would have been in the movies. Like, everybody said I was always a character, an actor when I was younger. But as you get older and you get hit with a disease, a disorder, you go through stuff. Those dreams that you had as a child tend to like fade away. I had no reason to believe that this phone call was real. I'm not in acting school or have any resumes out there looking for work. So for this to come was a total shock. So I hung up again and she's a wonderful lady. She called back and she's like, yo, I got 35 years experience in this. And this is the first time I've called somebody off the internet. And if you hang up again, I'm not calling you back. You know, she was a little pissed off. So I look at my wife, I'm like, oh shit, this, this might have be serious, you know? My name is Jackie, by the way. She has a casting agency out in Los Angeles. And she's a sweetheart of a lady, her and her sister, beautiful people. But um, I was still skeptical. So I said, you tell this guy, Grant, to give me a call if he really wants to talk to me. You know, again, being the wise ass that I am and uh, not believing that this opportunity was really happening, I was just like, yeah, whatever. So. I said, this guy's not going to call. This is probably some elaborate spoof just to get me and my hopes up high. And uh, long story short, 7.30 at night on a Thursday night, I was going out to dinner with some of the guys and I get a phone call and on the bottom it says Grand Singer. He's like, yo, we're casting you for a movie called Reptile. Um, I think you'd be great for a role that I have for you. I was like, holy shit, this is a real deal here. We're going to Hollywood. And that night, once it really sinks in and it hits you, Again, I suffer from Parkinson's disease, which brings about depression and anxiety. And so what happens is, is that when my nerves start to get exacerbated, 
my symptoms get exacerbated, like everything starts to go haywire, my circuits get overloaded. And so I was starting to get real nervous, real shaky, a lot more shakier than what I am now. And uh, I called up Grant and I'm like, listen, buddy, I appreciate the opportunity, but I don't think I can handle this. And uh, thank God that these people, the cast, the crew, the, uh, had exceptional patience. I mean, this guy's like an angel. He was like, hey, JC, we know you shake. We know you have Parkinson's. Just come on down and don't worry about it. And uh, I had to rely back on my faith and I asked God, I said, you know, am I gonna be able to make it through this? I tell you, I was really skeptical because of my fears of the unknown and were people gonna judge me and how were they gonna look at me? Um, there's a couple of funny moments. Being that I am handicapped, you know, usually people that are handicapped have a service dog, pet, or animal. So it's about 9.30 at night, I receive an email and it's from one of the production managers it says absolutely no animals, no pets are allowed on set. And now me being the person that I am, I can't just leave good enough alone. I tell my wife, I said, I'm going to call up Grant and I'm going to play a little joke on him. So she goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to tell him I have a service animal that I have to bring on set and this and that. And she goes, but you really don't even know this guy. You're going to call him up and you're going to blow your opportunity to be in a movie. She said, you really want to do that? And I was like, you know what? They're hiring me on the fact that I'm me, you know, and they want me to be who I am. And if I don't do this, then I'm just fooling myself and I'm not being true to myself. So I get on the phone, it's about 10.30 at night, right? This poor guy is working, filming this, that. He's probably trying to get to bed. And here I am, JC Capone, calling him up. So he answers the phone and I says, Grant, we got a problem. Now, mind you, I already tried to tell him that I didn't want to do the movie, etc. So he's like, hey, JC, what's the problem now? You know, what's what's going on? How can I help you? So I said, bro, you got a big problem. He goes, what is it? I says, I have a service animal that I travel with that your production manager or line manager said, uh, absolutely no pets on staff. So he goes, what do you have? Like a Rottweiler or a Pitbull? I was like, yo, I got an ostrich. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I got an ostrich. And his name is Oscar. So he goes, you have an ostrich? And I was like, yep. So my wife is kicking me in the background. She's like, I can't believe you're doing this to such a, I mean, this guy's worked with Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, in the movie, Benicio Del Toro, Alicia Silverstone, Dominic Lombardozzi. I mean, this guy, Justin Timberlake, this guy's working with the best of the best. And here I am busting his horns at 10.30 at night. And so he goes, let me age, how big is this thing? I said, it's about 200 pounds. I said, don't worry, he doesn't bite. He just chases people around, goes, ha, ha, and he spits at you. So he was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. So then I was like, ah, gotcha. And my wife is like, okay, hang up the phone. Your career is done. And uh, Grant started laughing and he's like, that story was so outlandish that I actually believed it because, you know, who the hell would think of an ostrich as a service pet? So what I did was I went online and I purchased a little stuffed ostrich and I brought it down with me with a little tag on it that said ESA, Emergency Service Animal. And I brought that on set and I showed it to everybody. Everybody started cracking up, man. My first scene out the gate, guess who I'm acting next to? Benicio Del Toro. Right? So now here I am, fresh off the presses, never did a line in my life, you know? And... uh so I'm walking down the steps and 
there's a scene where I'm sitting next to Benicio, right? And there's an empty chair. And it's like I said, it's right next to Benicio. So I'm like, oh man, boy, I'm sitting next to Benicio. Now I'm I'm a little starstruck. I mean, this guy's been in Sicario traffic, all these great movies, Academy Award winner. He looks at me with that stare, you know, and I'm sitting there trying to calm down the nerves, trying to play it cool. And he says, welcome to Park Avenue, kid. Don't f*** up. Boom, bing, bang, boom. All the lines in my head went to shit. I got, I got, uh, I went blank, blank. But uh, I'll tell you, man, what a, what an experience. Again, like I said, Grant was an amazing person who gave me the courage to actually go out there and go down and film in this movie. And it was the greatest thing that I ever did because I met a lot of great people. Um, I worked with a lot of great actors. <laughs> My face is going to be immortalized on the big screen, if you can imagine that. The one thing that I would like to say is don't give up on your dreams. No matter how old you are, no matter what you're going through, keep fighting. Don't give up, don't quit, and don't let other people crush your dreams. Don't ever give up on them. Because again, at 45, battling Parkinson's for six years, you would have told me six years ago when I first got diagnosed I was gonna be in a movie. I would have thought my life was over. I would have never thought that I was making it to the big screen, you know? So uh, when did you start your podcast? I started a podcast because I was on the Don't Eat All the Meatballs show, Wheels Parisi and Christofazio. They brought me on and I happened to score really well on their program. So Wheels, who's an entertainer, comedian, and uh, he's very good friends with Andrew Dice Clay. So he said, hey kid, you know, you got the chops. And I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, you know, you're very personable. You're very outgoing. You, you know, you make people laugh, you make them cry. You speak from the heart. I think you should start your own podcast. He's like, yeah, I think you'd be great at it. He told me you used to wear pinky rings. So why don't you call it Pinky Rings to Parkinson's? And uh, that's how that got started. So thank you to Wheels and Chris uh, for giving me their show, their platform to, uh, to voice my mission, my bringing awareness to Parkinson's, thanks to them. And that's when I started that show. Again, the Parkinson's, it's not on everybody's mind yet because it's not a killer monster disease, you know what I'm saying? And the people that mostly get it are old people. So they just get put into nursing homes and they never get thought about again. But now that young onset Parkinson's is coming around and every nine minutes across the world, people are getting this disease, whether it runs in your history or not, because it didn't run in my family. And so it just came out of nowhere. I didn't do mind altering drugs. I didn't do any of that kind of shit. And I got it. So when more young people start getting it, then you'll see that it'll start getting some more attention. And if uh, if you watch any kind of TV, just make a note of how many times you see a Parkinson's commercial. Just check it out for your own knowledge. Go into a store and see how many fundraisers there are for cancer and MS and all this other stuff. But take note of how many people do a fundraiser for Parkinson's on a massive scale. See if I'm right or wrong. Besides Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox, who do you know that has Parkinson's? You know what I mean? It's not something that's discussed at all, unless you have a family member or somebody close to you that's going through it. Nobody really cares about it. So that's why we're trying to raise some noise, man. We're trying to bring some awareness. It's like one person a day, and I'm cool with that. 
because like I send you some texts or whatever DMs, you see that there's one guy from Oklahoma, one guy from Brazil, one guy from Australia. So we're reaching people. Right. It's just that we're reaching them at such a slow pace that I wish that we could we could hit them a little faster, you know what I'm saying? Like we can get a little bigger, a little more awareness, a little faster because life is short, bro. I don't know how long I have on this world, neither does anybody. So let's try to get a cure sooner than later. You know what I mean? Amen. God bless you, brother. And I think minimally just putting you out there and stuff, like I'm sure you've heard this before. Like I've been talking to you for what, like uh, two and a half hours. Right. So I don't notice it anymore. I um, see you. And I think if more people see that, then they see the guy in the restaurant, it's not something to stare at and it makes them more comfortable. You know, when you walk into a restaurant, people think you're deaf. Just because I shake doesn't mean I can't hear. And you hear the people whispering. Well, when they say those words, it gets lodged into your brain and you keep replaying it and you stem on it. And those words do more damage than if somebody came up to me and wanted to have a fight with me. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that could change faster than a cure, easily. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah.